prepare to be shocked by the incredible rise and fall of a once beloved subway mascot. Jared Fogle, the man who captured America's heart with his inspiring weight loss story, was hiding a dark and disturbing secret. In a decade-long crime spree, he committed unspeakable acts of sexual abuse and blackmail against both children and adults. With his money and influence, Fogel manipulated and persuaded his victims to perform unthinkable acts for his own twisted pleasure. When news of his arrest broke, the public was stunned by the extent of his crimes. How could someone who had been traveling the country on a mission to help children overcome obesity be capable of such heinous acts? This is the shocking story of Jared Fogel, the subway spokesman, who turned out to be a monster. Hello everybody, welcome back to a brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. This one, uh, obviously, as you know from the little introduction there, Jared Fogel, the subway dude, who turned out to be a bit of a pedo. Um, it's, I don't like the episodes. Like, I guess the ones I struggle with most are obviously the ones where children get killed, because I have two young children. But uh, also, this stuff is, uh, is a dark place to go. Thank you to Matthew, who wrote today's script. I'm sure suffered a bit for it and uh, Jen who will uh, edit it. Thank you guys. Um, if you're brand new to the show, what happens the format here is I've never read this before. We're going to explore it together. I'm vaguely familiar with Jared Fogel, Subway Jared, the guy who got fat and then got thin from eating Subway, apparently, and then turned out to be, uh, be a bit of a predator. So let's jump in, shall we? Most Americans are familiar with the name Jared Fogel, either from his extremely successful career in the early 2000s as a television spokesperson for the restaurant Subway, or from the non-stop news stories that covered his crimes once they were revealed in the summer of 2015. Wait, is anyone... Sorry to interrupt so early in today's episode. But is anyone, if you're like Jared Fogel, word association, the first word out of your mouth is not, oh, he's the guy from Subway. It's like, uh, it might be that, but very quickly followed up, who's now in prison. Um... I think, I think most people are very, very well aware of what Jared Fogel did. Because this story happened so recently and I was able to remember much of the coverage that it received, I assumed that I would have no trouble recalling the details of his case and could write this script in a weekend. I was mistaken. As it turns out, many people, myself included, prior to diving into this project, are not aware of just how long and twisted his crime spree actually was. Not to sound too nonchalant about it, but I once believed that Jared Fogel was just another run-of-the-mill pedophile who got caught with illegal pornography and went to prison. However, I quickly learned that Jared's crimes were far worse than that. Oh god, I just realized all of these words that I've said so far, pedo, pedophile, pedo, pedophile, pee pee pedo, pedophile, all this stuff. This video is not going to get very many views. Too late, my friend. Because it's going to get age-restricted. But look, it's a video about Jared Fogel. I literally don't know what to do anymore, YouTube. Is it not important that we talk about this kind of crime and stuff? Is that, I get, maybe it's not. But I also feel like this is a part of culture and history and all of this stuff. It's not like I'm glorifying it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anything but far, sorry, that's not what I mean, like furthest thing from, right? I don't know what to do about that. But then I make these ones and they get like way less views. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'll stop complaining. I realize it sounds all very like, oh, poor Simon, poor, poor Simon with all of his success. For at least a decade, Jared Fogel used his money and influence to persuade, abuse, and blackmail both children and adults into performing sex acts for pleasure. And he did so while prancing around the country on a campaign aimed at helping children overcome obesity. This is his rise and fall. A heavy start. Jared was born to parents, Norman and Adrienne Fogel, on August the 23rd, 1977. He was a husky child who, from an early age, was content with a sedentary lifestyle. This alone is never good for one's health. But Jared also had an unhealthy obsession with food. As a teenager, he would consume roughly 10,000 calories per day. And by the time he reached adulthood, he weighed a whopping 425 pounds, which is approximately 192 kilos. That is a very, very large man. Also, 10,000. I recently found out that the average American eats something like 3,900 calories a day. Which kind of blew my mind because I know you're supposed to eat like as what as a man like two thousand five hundred. I have a sedentary lifestyle, so I eat like around two thousand a day, maybe two thousand one hundred, and it just blew my mind that people just regular lives, average American eats twice as much food as I do, <laughs> and I'm not like super skinny. I'm just a regular sized dude. 
After graduating high school, Jared enrolled in classes at Indiana University Bloomington and moved into one of the college's many dormitories. While living there, Jared quickly found that his weight would force him to face many challenges that his peers would not. For instance, because he could not walk to his classes properly as everyone else did, Jared was forced to drive the short distance to them. This also meant that he had to spend a significant amount of time searching for an open parking spot, one which could accommodate his size by providing ample room for him to open his door and climb out. I'm sorry, aunt, at 425 pounds, you must be classified as disabled surely so you'll get the blue badge and you can park where in the, the the disabled spots right when signing up for classes jared did not select courses based on his degree program but instead based on which classrooms had chairs that he could fit into one day jared's roommate a pre-med student noticed that his ankles were dangerously swollen and suggested that it could be edema a condition that google tells me is quote swelling caused by too much fluid trapped in the body's tissues this condition is dangerous and can often lead to heart problems or even early death among his many other health issues, Jared also suffered a car accident around this time, falling asleep at the wheel due to catastrophically low energy caused by sleep apnea. All of this is to say that Jared was in a real mess. His father had encouraged him to lose weight for years. Every time he tried, though, he failed. Now he was being told that he might not live past 35, and the only way to save himself was to lose the excess weight and lose it fast. But how was a man expected to lose so much weight so rapidly? Poor dejected Jared flung himself into bed and began sobbing hopelessly. He realized then and there that all was lost. However, it was at that exact moment, his lowest moment, that the green and yellow lights of the subway strat sign across the street switched on for the evening and cast a luminous glow across his watery face like rays from heaven. He opened his eyes, jumped to his feet, threw open the window, and took in the sweet aroma of Subway's always fresh ingredients. He then levitated like a cartoon character drawn to a freshly baked pie out of his window toward the sub shop that would single-handedly turn his miserable existence into one of purpose. Subway would save this man's life, and he would repay them by acting as their mascot and encourage others to follow in his godlike footsteps. At least that's how the marketing team at Subway tried to sell it to the public. Um, yeah, this did feel, I mean, uh, he was floating like a cartoon towards a pie. But it's like the story starts by it's like he's he's grossly overweight and he sees subway and he's like let's go to subway it doesn't sound like the beginning of a weight loss journey does it it sounds like a trip to subway for not the healthy sub but like a foot long mariana meatballs or whatever they are called i'm not a big fan of subway it it's like what was that other thing someone once told me and i'll, I'll ruin them for you right now crunchy nut cornflakes is that an american thing as well or just a british thing it's like uh it's like cornflakes that must be a global thing they're covered in like honey and little nuts and i used to love these things i loved them and then i read it was just some it was literally some like offhand remark in the paper or something and like uh, and the journalist was like you know when you finally realize that crunchy nut cornflakes kind of taste a little bit like cardboard and i'm like what what you talk wait what and then, then the next morning i have my crunchy nut cornflakes and i'm like oh my god he's right <laughs> they kind of taste a bit like cardboards <laughs> and i've never been able to enjoy them since because they taste a bit like cardboards and once someone told me like doesn't subway just taste a bit fake and everything tastes the same no matter like you put onions you put olives you put whatever inside it it always kind of tastes the same and I'm like, yeah and so now i just get some sandwiches from better shops because there are better sandwiches out there in reality, Jared simply made the decision to eat less and, more importantly, begin working out. He replaced his 10,000-calorie diet with two Subway sandwiches, one small turkey at lunch, one large veggie at dinner, along with potato chips and diet soda. These items amounted to around 2,000 calories, which incidentally is just shy of the recommended out-of-caloric intake of an average adult male. For a man Jared's size, it's what the medical community would refer to as a starvation diet. There was no magic behind Jared's dramatic weight loss, and the fact that he was eating Subway sandwiches had little to do with it. Cutting his caloric intake by 80% overnight and pro progressing from a sedentary lifestyle to one of regular exercise was all it took. Jared could probably have just done as well if he'd been eating at McDonald's, so long as he was consuming the same number of calories. Yeah, but I mean, still, the fact that he could have, have Subway every day and tolerate it is quite amazing, and I think it does speak to something about Subway. I wouldn't discount this as a marketing strategy at all. I think it's rather brilliant. Either way, Jared's weight loss journey was famously successful. He lost 245 pounds in a single year and was finally able to start doing all of those things that his old body could not tolerate. Oh God, he's going to be doing horrible, horrible things. Is that what Matthew means or is he just talking about chairs in lecture theatres? Oh God. The marketing campaign. 
In April 1999, Ryan Coleman, a writer for the student newspaper at IU Bloomington, featured Jared in a front-page article that detailed his weight loss journey. Because Americans are obsessed with easy weight loss solutions, the media picked up this story and ran with it. I have to say, there's nothing easy about this. He uh, cut his diet by 80% and started exercising. Yeah, but he's a pervert, dude. Yeah. That is going to be enormously challenging. Later that same year, Jared was featured in an article of Men's Health titled, Stupid Diets That Work. How is this a stupid diet? He cut his diet, he cut his caloric intake by 80% and started exercise. I know it's a clickbait It's a clickbait title, isn't it? It sounds like something I'd use on a video, to be honest. And then you'd be like, well, it's not that stupid, is it? Is it but then I, am I going to change the title? No, because I want people to watch the content I make. Like, I'm sure Men's Health wants people to buy their magazine. The article boosted Jared's story and practically demanded that Subway find some way to profit from his incredible journey. About Matthew's put incredible in like quotation marks, like to imply like sarcasm. I genuinely believe this is an incredible transformation. The fact that he could do this is kind of amazing. And if the story ended here, I'd be like, Jared Fogel, legend weight loss dude. <laughs> Rather than Jared Fogel, pedophile who's now in prison. <laughs> At least he's probably he's probably keeping the weight off in prison, isn't he? Both from fear <laughs> and also just crap, crap, small portions, I guess. They can't feed you that much in prison, right? They're not going to be like, yeah, let's just give you like a big diet. It's probably going to be the bare minimum they need to feed you because American prisons are like a for-profit enterprise, right? Which is its whole special form of insanity. The person who kicked things into motion was Bob... Oh, oh my. Okweja. I'm sorry, Bob. I'm probably getting that wrong. Matthew's even left me a note. I have no idea how to pronounce this name. <laughs> Thanks. A Subway franchisee and reader of Men's Health magazine who believed that Jared Fogel was the ticket to taking his store and Subway as a whole to the stratosphere. To do this, Bob pitched the idea to a local advertising agent, Barry Krause, who sent an intern to Indiana to investigate the possible lead. After interviewing employees of the Subway on campus and hearing them confirm with their own mouths that Jared comes in here every day, the ad agency was on board. Soon they reached out to Jared and he agreed to star in a local commercial that would change his life forever. The first ad in what would eventually become a series of over 300 national commercials that spanned 15 years premiered on January the 1st, 2000. It featured Jared walking in front of his home as a narrator declares, This is Jared. He used to weigh 425 pounds, but today he weighs 180, thanks to what he calls the Subway Diet. The ad then went on to explain how the diet works, and to satisfy the lawyers, this disclaimer was added at the commercial's end. The Subway Diet, combined with a lot of walking, worked for Jared. We're not saying this is for everyone. You should check with your doctor before starting any diet program, but it worked for Jared. <laughs> I, like, I love these like legal stuff. Terms and conditions apply, subject to status. <laughs> what does subject to status even mean? The, is this this is like every British ad that you'll hear? It'll be like, sign up for the new Capital One card. I don't know why I'm doing an American voice, but like, sign up for the new Capital One card. And then at the end it'll be subject to status. Terms and conditions apply. See in store for details. Then you're like, <laughs> what does any of? I understand terms and conditions apply. See in store for details. Subject to status. What my personal status? Like. The status of my current bank accounts? I guess that could make sense. But status? Anyway, let's just carry on. Ah, oh, candy. Who doesn't love candy? Can like candy. We call them sweets in the UK. Like sweets. I just go into that corner shop and buy all sorts of like delicious sweets. I don't know, like five pounds. If I had five pounds, that'd be an absolute feast back in the day. And I think like five pounds isn't that much money. It's probably about the same as five dollars. It doesn't buy you very much these days. Look, let's get on with it. What are we talking about? Native, 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 native. They're known for what? They're aluminium-free deodorants. Native keeps their ingredients list bare naked with ingredients you understand, like coconut oil, share butter, and baking soda. Simple. Plus, they take a lot, lot of boxes. 72-hour protection, naturally derived ingredients, and a smooth, residue-free application. Native offers a variety of scents, with new and limited edition scents being released all the time. They'll leave you smelling great all day long. Do you want to smell spicy and woodsy, sweet, or clean and fresh? I don't know, I like the spicy and woodsy vibe. That's kind of what I go for. It smells manly. <laughs> Look, Native has a scent for everyone. And right now, why was I mentioning sweets, candy, at the beginning of today's episode? Because they have special flavors. Or I guess they'd be more scents rather than flavors. Flavors is what candies have. Scents is what deodorants have. Gummy bears, strawberry and vanilla taffy, sourberry belts. Just uh, give it a try. Why not? 
get a little variety in your life. Now is the time to make the switch from an antiperspirant to native. When you visit their site, you can discover all their fresh scents and maybe even try out one of their new body washes while you're at it. Right now, go to nativedeo.com casual or use the promo code casual at checkout and get a sweet 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com casual or use the promo code casual at checkout for 20% off your first order. And now back to today's episode. The day after the ad was released, Barry Krause was contacted by representatives from ABC News, Fox, Fox News, and USA Today. You know you're at a banger when that happens. They had all seen Krause's local commercial and wanted to do a story on the inspirational icon that was just beginning to emerge. In the following days, Subway marketing execs also contacted Krause to see if the commercial could be picked up and run nationally. Being the savvy businessman that he was, Krause said, absolutely, and the rest is history. As the commercials premiered nationally, Jared's fame was propelled to unforeseeable levels. He made an appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show, was invited to, the grand, to be Grand Marshal at a subway-sponsored NASCAR race, and even carried the Olympic torch as it passed through Indiana for the 2002 Winter Olympic Games, which were being held in Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay, so at first, um, when I saw this, when you know, when you hear this story, you're like, how the hell did Subway, Subway, Everyone knows Subway. Not that. I guess maybe there aren't any crimes yet or anything. I guess that's why. But also, you know, why didn't they vet him more thoroughly? Like, have a detective look into... I, could, I, I don't know. They probably don't go that far. Um, but also, it started so small. It started with this one advert that just, you know, the small local advertising agency for a franchisee is not going to, like, do a background. Maybe they will. But they're not going to do a thorough, super thorough background check on this dude to make sure that he's not a pedo. But so you can see, and then Subway National pick it up. and it's, But at some point, surely you're like, okay, there must be nothing suspicious yet, right? Seeking to milk the hype for all it was worth, Subway, Subway then began parading Jared around the country, where he made appearances at new Subway store openings, gave speeches on how to live and eat healthy, and presented his famous blue jeans to audiences. These blue jeans, which looked large enough to swallow the new skinny Jared whole, were featured in numerous commercials and became a symbol for Jared's weight loss success story. In 2002, South Park even created an episode around Jared called Jared Has AIDS. Note the spelling of the word AIDS. Yeah, it's not spelt like HIV AIDS, but A-I-D-E-S, um, because that's the entire joke of the episode. He had AIDS as in he had help. By this point, everyone had already seen the commercials, which had been playing non-stop for almost two years, and this exposure was just icing on the cake. You know you've made it, Jared once said, when shows like South Park start parodying you. Jared will teach your kids to eat well. In 2004, after four years of successfully starring in Subway commercials and marketing himself as a health advocate, Jared Vogel attempted to branch out by founding the Jared Foundation, a nonprofit with the goal of raising awareness of childhood obesity. During this time, he traveled city to city and town to town to speak in front of children as young as five years old. Unfortunately, because of this, there is no shortage of photographs which show a smiling Jared surrounded by groups of young, innocent children who are just happy to be taking a photo with a celebrity. To adapt to this new on-the-go lifestyle, Jared began living out of a paid for by the money he made as Subway's golden boy. He drank expensive liqueurs, ate fancy foods, and at the height of his career was estimated to be pulling in $2 million per year, which is not bad for just being a spokesman. Just, I guess it's going to be a pretty grueling schedule, like traveling around. Although he's traveling around the country for his foundation, not for uh, also the work, like opening the restaurants and stuff. So it's going to be pretty hectic. But also you're getting paid $2 million a year to just show up and smile. <laughs> Now, we are all aware of where this story is headed. I've spoiled it in the intro, so there's no point in beating around the bush. Jared Fogel is a pedophile. The fact is as well known as the commercials themselves. However, one of the most interesting aspects of today's story revolves around Jared's relationship with a man named Russell Taylor. Russell met Jared at a bar the day before Jared was scheduled to deliver a presentation to a local elementary school. At the time, Russell was working with the American Heart Association, so he agreed to help Jared finish his new speech. The next day, Jared delivered the speech and loved the reception that it received. As a result of this collaboration, the two began spending time together. Before long, Jared was bringing Russell along on his speaking tour, and the two would travel to different cities, attend sporting events, meet with celebrities, and hang out at bars and strip clubs. Now, while strip clubs are not personally my thing, I won't judge you for visiting one occasionally. Yeah, I'm also, I don't, I just, I don't really get strip clubs. <laughs> it's just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I know, I've got mates who are British, and like, there's definitely not the same, like, strip club sort of thing that I feel America has. But I was just, this is a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, 
just not for me. But Jared wasn't visiting strip clubs, he was practically living in them. If he wasn't delivering a speech, traveling cross-country, or playing the role of the wholesome everyman, an image that Subway had worked very hard to craft for him, Jared could be found snorting the finest nose candy the money could buy off the backside of a daytime stripper. Oh my, Jared. <laughs> that probably also helps with the weight loss, doesn't it? In this way, and many others, the money was going to his head, and he was beginning to spiral out of control. He had a new body, he had wealth, he had a friend who understood him, and he wanted to live it up the way that few people ever get the opportunity to do. Jared was no longer content with living a normal, boring life. He wanted more, more sex, more booze, more drugs, more everything. I mean, yeah, okay. It's just, it's just all become a bit too much for him, hasn't it? As his tolerance for this lifestyle began to build, Jared and Russell started partying in back rooms, doing even harder drugs like smoking crack cocaine, oh my, and inviting strippers back to their luxury hotel rooms for group sex. Using Craigslist, keep in mind that this was back in the day when the site store hosted their notorious adult services directory. Call me naive, but I had no idea that Craigslist had that. I thought Craigslist was where you just sold your old crappy sofa. Jared was able to arrange sex in multiple cities along his tour route weeks or sometimes months in advance. He would email women who posted their contact information to get more details about them. They would reply with a picture of themselves along with a price, and the two would agree to meet at a time and place that was convenient for Jared. After having sex with them to ensure that they were not police officers conducting an undercover sting operation... Wait, what? Wouldn't you want to work out they were a police officer before? <laughs> <laughs> you solicited sex and it's like wait you're not a cop are you too late jared <laughs> what jared was asked if they knew anyone else that wanted to join them in the fun most women did however jared quickly amended his request by adding that he was looking for someone who looked younger or was young. oh my god i just figured it out <laughs> he's having sex with them to work out whether they're a cop or not so he can then ask them if they know anyone younger oh dude since most of these women were only 18 or 19 themselves, Jared knew exactly what he was asking, and so did they. Jared offered to pay them a finder's fee if they could connect him with girls around the age of 16 or possibly younger. Because the world is horrendously messed up, many of these women were willing to assist him and deliver him girls who were as young as 12. Jared then did what pedophiles do. I, I, I know I knew where this episode was going. I didn't perhaps realize how young and also how quickly it would go from like hey look it's an inspirational weight loss journey to like yeah then he became a pedo <sighs> jared and russell bffs forever in 2009, Jared hired his new best friend as the director of the Jared Foundation, and their friendship ascended to the next level. Now, with Russell officially on the payroll, they were connected. Wait, he was just traveling around the country with him, with him for free? I assumed like he was helping him punch up his speeches and stuff. They were just traveling around, just being homies? <laughs> what the f***? They were connected by business and pleasure, nearly inseparable. However, as I said in the previous section, Jared and Russell's relationship was about to take a more interesting and darker turn. Around this time, possibly because of the rampant drug abuse that he was subjecting his body to, Russell, bega Russell began to worry that someone was stealing from the Jared Foundation. Several items had recently gone missing, so to catch the thief, he installed hidden cameras around the Foundation's main office. Because Russell didn't know who to trust, he kept these cameras secret from everyone except for Jared. Almost as soon as they were installed, the cameras inadvertently captured footage of two underage teenagers, an employee of the Jared Foundation and her boyfriend, engaging in sexual art intercourse inside the office. Jared was absolutely enthralled by this footage and requested or likely demanded that Russell not only send him the footage, but also install more cameras to capture even better footage. At first, Russell claims that he was hesitant, but he would later be persuaded to comply. Bro, at that point, you've got to be like you got to talk to the police, right? Because you just got to go and be like, hey, do you want to look into this guy? And even if you don't know, maybe the police will be like, what are you talking about? And I don't think they would be like, what are you talking about? They'd be like, okay. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. But for your clear, clear, clear conscience, you need to grasp your mate in. And I know he's your boss, and I know he's paying you, and I know he's your friend. But you got to. You got to. It's not right. At this time, the dynamic that Jared and Russell shared changed completely. Although Jared had originally treated Russell as a friend and an equal, Jared eventually dropped the nice guy persona entirely and began treating Russell as an inferior to boss around and degrade. Mate, he knows you're a weirdo. <laughs> he has that on you. What are you doing? Is Russell gonna be Russell's gonna is Russell gonna be part of the downfall of Jared? That would be nice. 
Nice redemption arc for Russell. As he would later testify in court, Russell claims that Jared was the driving force behind their, oh god, their later crimes, as he was the one pulling the strings by manipulating Russell. Jared used the items, job, and home that he had gifted to Russell. He gifted him a home. <laughs> God damn, dude. Uh, as leverage to force him into complying with his demands. This is Taylor's version of events, so take it with a grain of salt. This account of their relationship was part of his legal defense after he was arrested in 2015. Dude, just because someone gave you a house doesn't mean they're manipulating you to the extent that you can set up cameras to watch underage employees having sex in the office. That is not okay. You're going to... I, I don't know if Russell's in prison, but Russell is... Uh, that, that sounds pretty crimey, Russell. After Jared made it clear that he would not take no for an answer, Russell placed additional hidden cameras within his own home with the intent to record children in various stages of undress. He placed these cameras in intimate areas such as bathrooms and bedrooms and lured his victims to his home with the promise of drugs, alcohol, and money. Once the cameras had captured, captured something noteworthy, Russell edited the footage, loaded it onto a thumb drive, and gave it to Jared so that he could secretly watch it from the comfort of his own home, away from the prying eyes of his wife and children. What? 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 Wife and... Wait, Jared's wife and children? Matthew, you just mentioning this now? This sick dude has a wife and children? God damn, bro. Speaking of which, this is a good opportunity to mention that Jared was married and had two children of his own. Take those children away so quickly. In 2010, as Jared and Russell were traveling around the world on official Jared Foundation business and having sex with women in nearly every city they visited, Jared married his now ex-wife Kathleen McLaughlin. Yeah, now ex-wife. <laughs> Who would have seen that plot twist coming? She was a special ed teacher at an elementary school. As a side note, as we're on the topic of wives, you should know that Kathleen was not Jared's first wife. She was his second. In the early 2000s, Jared had been married to a different woman, a nurse named Elizabeth, but details of their relationship are scarce. The two divorced in 2007. One thing we do know is that she was granted a restraining order after revealing to a judge that Jared was dangerous and had a bad temper. I skipped over this first marriage because I didn't want to draw more attention than necessary to someone who obviously knew when to cut and run, but I am bringing it up now to highlight the fact that Jared was showing signs of bad behavior years before meeting Russell Taylor. Yeah, I'm always like, sometimes there's been a couple of times where writers have been like, and his daughter, and his son, and his like cousin, and I'm like, we're, and just naming them, and I'm like, no, <laughs> these are innocent people who just happen to be related to a monster. Like, why would we bring them up by name? Because there's going to be, like, while I might be like, oh, yeah, of course, these people are completely innocent. You know, sins of the father are not the sins of the son. And, but, you know, there's going to be some weirdo on the internet who'll be like, I knew Ed Gein's sister. Like, I don't know if it wasn't Ed Gein or whatever, but, like, and it was a long time ago. But still, just stop it. But still, we shouldn't do that. And I think this is how exactly how it should be. Just like, there was this person. Let's not talk about them anymore because it's none of that. They have nothing to do with this. The abuse at Russell's house went on for years. And while the specifics are scarce. Oh, I'm sorry. So the cameras were set up at Russell's house. Why are kids getting naked in Russell's house? Oh, he was inviting them back with booze and stuff. Wait, Russell's doing this? I thought Russell was just the guy with the cameras. Wait. Oh, it was Russell. Oh. I thought Russell was just getting manipulated to do the, like, tech work and stuff, but Russell's also, like, up to some... Oh, God. You should know that dozens of girls as young as 14 were abused, and over 400 videos were produced in this manner. Jared himself refrained from participating in these acts as a futile way of separating himself from them, and as a result, he was never caught on video. However, he was living vicariously through Russell's videos, and he would give him tips on how to lure victims and keep them quiet afterwards. Jared was so committed that he even went as far as to purchase better filming equipment for Russell so that the videos would be clearer and higher quality. Russell claims that the entire thing was forced upon him by his sadistic boss. However, I call bullshit on that. Most people couldn't do that with a gun pressed to the temple, but we're expected to believe that he participated in these depraved acts for years because he was afraid that he would lose his job and upset his boss. Yeah, uh, that is your opinion, Matthew, and it is my opinion entirely as well. I, uh, hope that the courts reached that same opinion. No, I don't believe it, and spoiler alert, neither did the judge, but we'll get to that a little bit later. As this was happening, Russell also claims that Jared became increasingly demanding and went as far as requiring Russell to address him as Daddy. When Russell needed something from him, Jared would ask, What do you need Daddy to do for you? This is... Y y yeah, y <laughs> I don't know why. Because obviously this is all sorts of horrible stuff in it. But that's one of those things where it's just like, you get, I just had a deep moment of uncomfortableness where you're like, you know, just that. I can't quite describe the feeling when it's kind of, you feel like you're a little bit detached from your skin. Is that just me? Where you're like, oh, dude, you know, 
that kind of feeling. And I don't know why I'm feeling it for that, but that just feels so fucking weird. Dude. Jared who? Never heard of him. Now, let's lighten the mood by talking about Subway for a moment, because legally speaking, Subway was not involved in any way with Jared's crimes, nor did they have any knowledge of what was going on. Yeah, I don't think they ever did. I think, like, when I think of Subway, I don't think of, like, I don't assume... Uh, Subway have done a very good job of distancing themselves from this. Like, I'm not a particular fan of Subway, but it's not because of any of this, it's just because I think the sandwiches are very good. <laughs> I say that because no charges were officially proven in US court, however there are a certain number of let's just call them unfortunate coincidences that really did not age well. I think these are just going to be coincidences because I, I can't, like companies are not good, like companies are not good, they're not bad, we've discussed this before, they're just companies, they don't have, they don't have souls, uh, neither do we, but you know what I mean. And I think if they knew about this, they would get rid of Jared very quietly and very quickly because that coming out would be devastating for Subway's stock price. They're a public, they must be a publicly traded company. They're huge. For instance, at the height of Jared's advertising campaign, the official Subway Kids website featured a game called Jared's Pants Dance, where children controlled a poorly cropped JPEG of Jared's famous oversized pants to catch Subway footlongs as they fell from the top of the screen. That is just a coincidence. I, I mean, I don't read too much into that. And what was Jared like? Hey, hello there, Subway web developers. I want you to put my trousers in a game. Like, no, that's not what happens. In addition to this, between 2008 and 2013, Subway sponsored many Little League baseball events where Jared would show up to encourage children to stay active. During one of these events, a Subway promotion known as the Subway Design Tour was announced, which allowed children to design custom baseball patterns and submit them online for charity. These baseballs, sometimes referred to as Jared's Balls, were transported around the country to different Little League games where parents and kids alike could all get a good long look at Jared's Balls. It was That's just another coincidence. They toured Jared's Balls all around the country and even had them shipped to celebrities so that they could be signed once Jared's balls had taken him as far as they could they were auctioned off so that the proceeds could be put towards the Little League Urban Initiative now I know what you must be thinking these situations are humorous and unfortunate considering the circumstances but they prove nothing that's exactly what I'm thinking in fact if Subway did know or suspect something about Jar Jared's sexual inclinations the last thing they would want to do is draw any sort of attention to themselves be it through humor or otherwise however there are several serious first-hand accounts that allege of su that Subway's involvement goes deeper and paints a much more sinister picture of the situation really i am so skeptical let's go so i hope that you enjoyed this little moment of regrettable marketing because things are about to get even darker as i said subway maintains to this day that the higher-ups of the company were unaware of jared's misdeeds until he was arrested in 2015 this is in spite of the fact that dozens of witnesses with first-hand accounts claim otherwise what what <laughs> I am about ready to have my mind blown, to be honest, and about to use the word allegedly so many times, I hope. In 2008, Jared began, began having an intimate relationship with the Subway franchise owner, Cindy Mills. Cindy, who would not come forward to the press until 2015 out of fear for her own safety, revealed that Jared had disclosed to her the nature of his sexual interests. He bragged to Cindy about the fact that he'd engaged with sexual acts between, with girls between the ages of 9 and 16 during a trip to Thailand. After telling her this, he requested that she arrange for Jared himself to have sex with Cindy's underage cousin. How do you bring that up? Dude! Instead of going to the police, Cindy attempted to stop Jared by revealing his acts to an advertising manager at Subway on two separate occasions. However, Subway executives vehemently deny having any record of these conversations. Uh, advertising manager at Subway. That's not an exec. So that advertising manager... I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, I feel the executives at the company. It, they know at some point this is going to get blown open right this isn't the sort of thing that is quiet at some point this is going to happen at some point the is going to hit the fan right surely it's too high profile not to and jared's like brazen with his abuse at some point something's going to happen it would make sense just to quietly get rid of him and report him to the police they gotta but then it does look bad oh god i see why they're in trouble because if they report him to the police it's going to look bad but it's if they knew you gotta do it like surely a pr company especially like it's the modern world bro like a pr company's got to be like look it's really bad news but you are the ones who have to go to the police and blow the whistle on this 
and it's going to look bad, but it's going to look good that you blew the whistle. Oh my god. Okay, okay, I'm coming around to how the conspiracy could be possible, because on the other hand, they'll be like, no, no, it'll never come out. Let's just continue paying this pedo $2 million a year. Woo, okay. That same year, Cindy alleges that Jared bragged about having sex with a 16-year-old girl that he met on Craigslist. He offered to show Cindy text messages and photographs that he and the girl had exchanged, but Cindy turned down his offer. <laughs> this is, this, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. After this incident, she once again attempted to start a fire with Subway's marketing team, but they refused to take the complaint seriously. Cindy, why aren't you going to the police? Cindy claims that the higher-ups of Subway were completely aware of his actions because they had assured her that Jared was being assigned a teacher who would get him back on the right track. Allegedly. Yeah, this is all what Cindy is saying. I'm not saying this. It's definitely not a statement of fact. This is just something that Cindy said. And given that Cindy didn't go to the police, I'm like, I don't know if I believe her. Cindy later said the reason she had chosen to speak with advertising execs instead of Subway's head of management team uh, was that because her main goal, besides stopping Jared, was to have his photo removed from her store. How about your main goal be going to the police and getting him in trouble for having sex with a nine-year-old? Okay? Piece of shit. Both you, Jared, and you as well, Cindy, in my opinion. She said she couldn't stand to look at his face every day after learning what he liked to do to little children. You know, you really wouldn't have to look at his face every day. Burn that shit in the street, go to the police, and then he goes to prison. Maybe gather a little bit of evidence first. Gather that evidence together. Record some of those conversations. That would be the right thing to do. At this point, Cindy was too afraid to go to the police, but she did contact a lawyer about filing a lawsuit against Subway for their involvement in covering up Jared's crimes. This, no, you are trying to, it sounds like you're just trying to extract money from this company instead of doing the right thing and talking sure talk to a lawyer or if you're just quietly talk to the police the police aren't going to be like hey hey jared jared your girlfriend just came in here and grassed you up mate they're not going to do that they're going to be like well we'll work out how to protect you because they need you cindy what is going on in your tiny brain allegedly my opinion that you have a tiny brain not a statement of fact your brain's probably regular size but in my opinion it doesn't work properly her lawyer informed her that legally there was too much separation between jared and subway this was because even though jared was the public spokesperson for the company he was not directly employed by them therefore they had no basis to pursue legal action how about the basis for that legal action be like criminal how about you i'm gonna stop banging at home about how much she should have gone to the police um because everyone knows my opinion is probably getting a bit tired it almost seems as if this la legal layer of protection was intentional, sort of an inst insulation against future accusations and lawsuits. Yeah, fine, but I, it's also probably extremely standard. Like, I'm not employed by Squarespace. I just, like, talk about their products, which I think is smart. Like, although I'm not their spokesman or anything, like, to that level. But I talk about them a lot, like, and I'm paid to talk about them a lot. Um, I think that's extremely standard. I don't think there's anything nefarious there. Another similar account came from a lawsuit filed in 2016 by Jared's now ex-wife, Catherine McLaughlin, in which she claimed that Subway received at least three separate reports regarding Jared's sexual activity with children, yet they did not report anything to law enforcement. The suit named three entities, Doctors Associates, Inc., Franchise World Headquarters, LLC, and the Subway Franchisee Advertising Fund, and asserted that Subway put its own financial interests ahead of protecting children by failing to adequately investigate the claims. She and her attorney also claimed that, just as Cindy Mills had said, Jared had a Subway-appointed sponsor to help him correct his paedophilic behavior. Yeah, that's gonna work. <laughs> Sarcasm. Um, what are these people where... Unless my knowledge of the law is just completely broken, where, why is she suing them? What's her loss? Like, suing is because you've suffered a financial loss. Something like that, right? She's just saying Subway didn't report these things. That doesn't sound like a civil lawsuit. That sounds like something that whichever government entity regulates this shit, um, like advertising standards or whoever, not advertising standards, I don't know, like, well, whoever, there's going to be a government body, I'd be American anyway, a government body that investigates this sort of stuff and then will slap them with a massive fine, right? Isn't that what should be happening? She sued them for invasion of privacy, intentionally inflict infliction of emotional distress, negligence, and several other things. Um, okay, so there's what she's suing for. Um, 
I'm not sure how that's related to them ignoring these reports of his sexual behavior. Um, I guess that, look, I don't know. I'm not big brain enough to figure this out, but I guess there's like a lawyer probably thought about it. Let's have a crack. I guess we're going to find out how these lawsuits do. The lawsuit could have shed some light on a very dark situation, but unfortunately it was dismissed before being brought to trial due to lack of personal jurisdiction. This basically means that the court in which the lawsuit was filed felt that they had not got proper authority to try the case. This could have been because, strangely, Catherine chose to file her lawsuit in the state of Connecticut, despite the fact that neither she nor the defendants were located in the state. Okay, why? And then the court's like, this isn't our problem. Do it in the state, the other, the other state. I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know what it is. Seeing as I'm not a lawyer and have no idea what I'm talking about, about I contacted Liam, the casual criminalist basement lawyer, and he and we theorized that Catherine may have chosen Connecticut because its laws benefit the plaintiff in cases of negligence more so than in other U.S. states. Oh, that makes sense. Like people often uh, do libel cases, or at least they used to in the U.K. because the uk is very um pro like like they will put gag orders on newspapers and all of this stuff a lot more easily than uh, some other court systems i'm not sure if that's the current case it was back in the day after this case was dismissed she was free to refile in a court that did have proper jurisdiction but i can find no record of other lawsuits it's possible that subway settled with catherine out of court to prevent details of her civil suit from going public but this is pure speculation on mine and liam's part yeah whenever you see a case that dis just disappears settlements in our opinion she may also have realized that her case had little chance of succeeding and decided to throw in the towel before racking up loads of legal fees. Cindy Mills and Katie McLaughlin were just two accounts, but as I said, there are many more, most of which are from franchisees who worked with Jared at various promotional events. One interesting thing to note is that although Jared did continue making occasional commercials and appearances up until his arrest in 2015, Subway did begin scaling back its marketing campaign in 2007, around the same time that Cindy Mills allegedly brought her concerns to Subway's marketing team and, that, and the year that Jared's fast wife filed for divorce that is the most compelling thing i've seen so far because what was i saying like if i was them one option like from a pr firm would just be like yo start winding up your involvement with him asap just get it wound up and hopefully nothing will be revealed for years and everything will have calmed down like jared won't have been your spokesperson for like a long time so people will be they'll have forgotten about it that is very compelling isn't it that's a very compelling point not my point matthew's point about the, the timing lining up at this time subway replaced jared with their almost equally famous five dollar footlong promotion they claim that this change was simply the result of jared's story being played out almost after almost a decade and it had nothing to do with his crimes in the end we may never never know the extent to which subway was involved or whether its corporate office was aware of the crimes but the fact that so many people say they tried to inform someone and got stonewalled is at the very least shocking how is it possible that so many people knew about Jared's involvement with minors, yet did nothing to stop him? With him repeatedly telling people about his attraction to children, why did it take over a decade to put an end to his crime spree? That is an excellent question, and one that we're going to answer now! The Fall of an Advertising Icon Now you might think that the title of this section is Overheal. An icon? This seems a bit much. However, the word is not my own. There are several books that were written in the early 2000s that refer to Jared as such. They call his advertising campaign nothing short of genius. Yeah, I uh, kind of agree with that. I think it's a very, very clever marketing campaign by Subway. And obviously, it was it was pretty enormously successful, right? Before the sexual abuse allegations, Jared's story was seen as a shining example of how successful a simple ad campaign could be. I don't you got to separate these two things because one is a business story about advertising success and one is about the story of a, a sick pedo so it it was still enormously successful the lesson here is not you know the lesson here is just vet people <laughs> like just make sure that they're not weirdos and also the fact that you sometimes are going to take that risk like there's plenty of stories of Dude, we're, we're just coming off like a few months ago. Kanye West turns out that he loves Hitler. It's like, I love Hitler. And it's like, and now, um, I know so little about this uh, sports stuff. Is it it's Adidas? It is Adidas that he worked with, right? I hope I don't get that wrong. But whoever it was, dropped him. And it's like, yeah, because it's not a good look. This happens all the time. Granted, not often to the level of uh, Jared Fogel, but still. It, the, you, when you are promoting something and you're using someone to promote it you are running that risk it's just 
that's just part of the risk. Ah. There were countless articles written about him that have since been scrubbed from the internet, and many advertising teachers even used his story in their classrooms. I d again, I don't think that that is invalid. None of that's invalid, just because it turns out that personally he's a weirdo. The fact that he was so well known, not just by the public, but by advertisers themselves, meant that Jared could have long had a long and lucrative career as a spokesperson. But unfortunately for him and his victims, Jared liked to diddle kids, and the entire world was about to find out. In 2015, the public fall of Jared Fogel came suddenly, but behind the scenes, things had been in motion for seven years. Investigators had received tips from both named and unnamed sources and had been working to gather as much evidence as possible to ensure that Jared and his co-conspirators could not use their money or influence to escape justice either legally or illegally, legally through the court system, illegally by fleeing the country. The first official record of Jared's crimes was filed in 2007 by a radio host from Sarasota, Florida named Rochelle Herman Walron. She filed the report shortly after Jared disclosed to her that he was attracted to middle school age girls. The two of them had been having an affair, and this concerned her greatly. Excellent! You're doing all of the things that Cindy should have done, Rochelle. Good on you. However, instead of taking her concerns seriously, the Sarasota police brushed her off by saying that it was not a crime to be attracted to children and that there was nothing they could do for her. Um, police, sure, thought crimes are not a, not a thing. But obviously it's very indicative of of actual crimes isn't it how about you look into that how about you do your job rochelle was not satisfied by this answer excellent rochelle let's go so she started gathering evidence on her own she began having frequent recorded conversations with jared he told me that he was he thought that middle school girls were so hot you are literally doing all of the things that i told that i said cindy should have been doing you legend over the telephone where she pretended to be interested in the same things that he was she did this to coax a confession from him her personal investigation did not take long as jared seemed more than willing to tell her of all his fantasies and past exploits in other countries he naively trusted her and dropped his guard entirely believing that she was a pedophile as well who wished to learn from him and eventually join in um yo <laughs> why are you up I, it's like don't don't speak about your crimes uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what the rule is here but you're breaking it once Rochelle had recorded the proof she contacted the FBI because she had already developed a natural rapport with Jared the FBI was eager to recruit her as an informant so that she could continue having recorded conversations to gain more information as an informant Rochelle spent the next four years having four years how long do you need FBI gather the evidence more quickly and get him in prison Four years is a long time. That's a lot of children that could be abused, FBI. In which she would continuously probe for more information, as the FBI had instructed her to do. In one of these recordings, one of which I will not be quoting from directly because the things said are beyond vile. Good, I have no desire to read any of that. Jared goes into detail about how he selects his targets and wins them over. He also explains his process for grooming the girls he meets while touring the country and brags that middle schoolers from broken homes are the most susceptible victims. That is, I don't even need to read that. That is. During one of these conversations, Jared expresses his desire for Rochelle to take part in his fantasies and requests that she. She placed a camera inside of her own children's bedrooms. Four years? These conversations with Jared, which lasted for over four years, took their toll on Rochelle. I don't know how much the FBI pays you as an informed Rochelle, but if it's not millions of dollars a year, this is too much. Can you... In her own children's bedrooms? What the f*** is going on? She said that after speaking with him, she needed time alone to calm down because she couldn't even be bear to be near her own family. She was disgusted with herself and with the entire situation. Rochelle, you are a hero. What the FBI are doing, dragging their feet on this or whatever is taking them so bloody long, they're the ones that we should have an issue with. She even had recurring nightmares that would cause her to wake up screaming into her own pillow. Years later, during an interview with Dr. Phil, Rochelle stated, I'm removing myself from who I am and embracing an imaginary person. I had to be two separate people in order to continue on with this investigation. The Dr. Phil show is the epitome of trash TV, but the episode featuring Rochelle is undeniably heartbreaking and near impossible to watch. I wanted to be clear where this information came from, but you should know that I myself felt dirty after listening to these recordings and do not recommend that you seek out either the interview or the recordings, as they are horrible beyond any description that I care to give. Unbelievably, after everything that Rochelle had put herself through, the FBI still claims that it was not enough. It's literally him confessing on recordings. What more do you need? They said that verbally admitting to crimes on tape was not concrete enough and that they had to have real tangible proof before arresting him. Rochelle was unable to obtain this and the investigation fizzled out as a result. How 
how incompetent. This is the FBI. You're supposed to be the ones where everyone, you know, is like, oh, yeah, yeehaw, state police or whatever, or city police. And then it's like, in these casual criminalists, the FBI gets involved and I'll start rubbing my hands together because it's like, hell yeah, let's go, FBI. You're the competent ones. You're like Mulder and Scully. Like... How about when a woman does four years of work gathering all of these recordings? How about you go out and find the actual evidence? How about you do your job rather than relying on Rochelle with her two kids and the emotional trauma that she is not set up to deal with because she's not a trained FBI agent? How about you do that bit? F*** you. Sorry. <laughs> I, would, I was about to say I got unreasonably angry, but I don't think there's anything unreasonable about that. F*** you. Do your job. An important note, the FBI claims that Rochelle's recounting of a personal investigation is not true, and they never worked with her on this case. Oh, shit. What? However, I personally cannot see any reason that she would lie and put herself through years of mental anguish uh, if not to stop him. I've heard the recordings. I know they exist, and you can hear the pain in her voice as she speaks to him. Why isn't someone freedom of information that? How it? Wait, how is... How, what? Can... Is that not what Freedom of Information Act does? Wait, someone let me know in the comments. Because <laughs> I'll pay for that. <laughs> like, we've done Freedom of Information Act stuff before for this. Is there a reason that Matthew wouldn't do it or ask me about it? Like, and that now I feel, now I feel like I should have couched my words more carefully. Because if the FBI are saying, we never had this, I mean... That, that does throw enormous doubt onto it because that level of incompetence seems like, honestly, this is the first time that I've been like, FBI, like normally it's like, police do your job, police do your job. FBI get involved. Like I said, I rub my hands together in glee. To see this level of incompetence from the FBI was truly shocking, which makes me think there might be some truth to them never having got this because I can't believe that they would have such levels of incompetence. It's the FBI. It's Mulder and Scully. It's all the good when you watch the cop shows. They're the super competent ones where all the super smart people go and they don't earn loads of money. They just want to be like bad guy catchers. I love that shit. Some people have also suggested that Rochelle was complicit in his crimes because she did not come forward to the public until after his arrest. However, I remain unconvinced. To me, this seems like another case of sloppy police work, only this time it was the FBI instead of the local police force. I kind of differ with you there, Matthew. I don't, I don't, maybe I, it just doesn't, like I said, I don't feel like there's often this level of incompetence from the FBI. Okay. The arrest of Russell Taylor. While the FBI and police were seemingly doing everything in their power to not arrest Jared Fogel, investigation into Russell Taylor was quickly materializing. In 2015, an anonymous woman came forward to report that Russell had forwarded links to her of a website that hosts videos and photographs depicting bestiality. She also said that Russell had bragged about visiting Thailand for the purposes of having sex with underage girls. This unnamed woman, who was a longtime friend of Russell and his wife, Angela Taylor, was shocked to hear these admissions. She was, however, even more shocked when Russell requested to use her farm to produce films of himself engaging in sexual acts with one of her horses. Oh my lord. After this conversation, the woman phoned the police and turned over the text messages. They questioned her about Russell Taylor and quickly learned that he worked for the Jared Foundation and that he and his wife were both swingers. The woman stated that Russell, with the blessing of his wife, had been attempting to form a sexual relationship with her after the death of her husband. Somehow, Randall believed that bragging about his sexual prowess with animals and children would be enough to coax her into the bedroom. Your brain is broken, mate, if that's what you, like, what are you thinking? The police were flabbergasted and very curious to see how deep this rabbit hole went. Days later, with a warrant in hand, Russell's home was raided by the authorities. During their search, they discovered the hidden cameras, along with hundreds of homemade videos that showed children as young as nine being abused and changing clothes inside the home's bedrooms and bathrooms. Russell claimed that the cameras were in place to monitor the children to ensure that they were not having sex or stealing, but the police equally refuted this claim by pointing out that the clips on the computer had all been edited down to show the parts where the children were changing clothes or showering. On May the 4th, 2015, Russell Taylor was arrested and charged with seven counts of producing child pornography and one count of possession of child pornography. Two days later, while housed at the Marion County Jail, he attempted suicide was unsuccessful. As the months rolled on, and Russell and his attorneys began to paint the full picture for Judge Tonya Walton Pratt, they told a tale that was far too common with child abusers. Russell himself was a victim of child abuse. Which, I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, this sucks for him. This is awful. And it always comes back to what I say, like, don't f*** up your kids.
but also there's plenty of people who were abused as kids and don't become abusers so it's not an excuse during a psychological evaluation which was administered to determine if russell was fit to stand trial russell revealed that he himself had been repeatedly molested as a child he claimed that his neighbor assaulted him many times between the ages of five and eight and that this abuse had warped his mind and caused him to see children and animals as sexually desirable his neighbor's son who was older than russell but also still a minor had also participated in these acts russell says that his neighbor and his neighbor's son were not the only abusers in his life by the age of 18 he had had sex with five or six adult women besides sexual abuse russell was also physically abused by his mother she would beat him with switches shoes belts and anything else that was within reach his neighbor also threatened to physically harm russell if he ever told anyone what was happening to him russell and his defense team then went on to draw a direct parallel between his reliance on his abusive mother and the relationship that russell had shared with jared fogel what are you looking for here these are just like excuses they're not legal outs it's like yeah i was abused so i abused um what do you want you're still going to prison are we trying to get a, we must be going for a lighter sentence right but bro it's not an excuse i mean it it's an excuse but it's not like uh it's not enough it's not close to enough he and his court-appointed psychologist both believed that russell was susceptible to being exploited by jared because their abusive relationship was the only type of relationship that he had ever experienced as a child he didn't know how to deal with anything else and was mentally unable to deny jared's requests um i'm sorry but that it, it great okay fine don't care whether or not you believe this version of events is up to you but court documents also reveal that russell visited a social worker in 2012 and 2014 for significant problems with being assertive in a healthy manner with his boss these meetings both occurred prior to the investigation and if nothing else seemed to corroborate that he was having trouble standing up to jared which is fine when your boss asks you to do something that you don't want to do that isn't weird there's, but then there's a line there's a line this certainly doesn't excuse his actions in any way but it does add a little more clarity to the supremely complex relationship that these two men shared in the end this revelation was not enough to win favor from judge tanya walton pratt who ultimately sentenced russell to 27 years in prison after russell pled guilty to 12 counts of sexual exploitation of a minor and one count of distribution of child pornography excellent 27 years is a long ass time in prison where he belongs in 2012 during the height of the covid 19 pandemic judge pratt vacated her previous ruling stating that russell's defense lawyer had failed to challenge the three charges that were not supported by the legal facts of the case what does that mean failed to cha challenge three charges that were not supported by legal facts of the case okay i don't get that however this did not mean that he was free to leave prison instead of june 2021 taylor pled guilty to 24 counts of production of child pornography and the sentence remained the same at 27 years okay so just something legal went wrong and he's still in prison for a really long time cool russell's wife angela taylor who now goes by the name angela baldwin was also convicted in october 2021 of two counts of production of child sexual abuse material one count of conspiracy to produce child sexual material and one count of possession of child sexual abuse material these charges were based on the fact that angela could be seen in several videos participating in the abuse and had watched as russell installed the hidden cameras cameras in the intimate areas of their home she was sentenced to 33 years in prison for a role in the crime she got more ah i thought there was going to be some sentence that was way too light <laughs> and no she got 33 years good upon release russell taylor and angela baldwin will be required to register as sex offenders and be supervised for life by the u.s probation office <laughs> what remains of their life after three decades in prison ah fuck you the two divorced in 2017. the arrest of jared fogel on august the 19th 2015 two months after the arrest of russell taylor police raided jared, Fog jared fogel's estate the raid was conducted after the indiana space police cybercrimes department space sorry indiana state police cybercrimes department received a tip that russell taylor had been forwarding illegal images to jared through text messages inside his home investigators discovered a cell phone a laptop a thumb drive all of which were used to store images and videos of children as young as six years old why why do you do this matthew you start it's like yeah young as 12 and you're like that's sick and you're like nine bruh six that's it that's all i gotta say in total over 400 illegal images and videos were collected some have been purchased online through black market sellers but most have been produced inside russell taylor's own home many were of children that jared knew personally later that day outside his home news cameras captured jared as he was led to and placed inside of a police car at that time he was charged with possession of child pornography however those charges would quickly be raised in the coming weeks as more details 
and witnesses came forward. Almost immediately, Subway terminated their contract with Jared and began distancing themselves from him. They pulled every ad, banner, and promotional pamphlet from stores and scrubbed their website of any mention of him. In November 2015, approximately four months after his arrest, Jared Fogel pled guilty to distribution and receipt of child pornography as well as traveling to engage in sexual conduct with a minor. The latter was based on a trip to the Grand Plaza Hotel in New York City where he met and had sex with a 17-year-old escort. Court documents also reveal that he corresponded with multiple sex workers online who he hoped could arrange meetings between himself and underage girls while traveling through cities on his speaking tour. Richmond, Virginia, Kansas City, Missouri, and Las Vegas, Nevada were all named in these documents. The evidence against Jared was irrefutable, and new witnesses were coming forward every day, so instead of forcing the court into a lengthy, futile, and media-frenzied trial, Jared instead chose to throw himself at the mercy of the court and beg for leniency. As part of his plea, Jared's defense team requested a five-year sentence. Ah, yeah, right. Uh, while the prosecution sought 12 years. Um, that seems low, doesn't it? I mean, Russell and his wife got 30 years together, on average, you know, 30 years each, 27 and 33. Um, that feels low, because he was the one kind of orchestrating all of this shit. However, unimpressed by the prosecution's lack of enthusiasm. Oh, here we go. What? I love you. Lo I just love it when the prosecution's like, wasn't this with Theranos? Didn't she get more than the prosecution even asked for? Because <laughs> they're like, nah, you did worse. I'm, I'm so persuaded by the prosecution that I'm going to give them their cake and eat it too. However, unimpressed by the prosecution's lack of enthusiasm, the judge stepped in, overruled them both, and handed down a 15-and-a-half-year sentence. That was three-and-a-half years more than was requested. This meant that Jared would serve at least 13 years before being eligible for parole on March 24, 2029. He was also ordered to forfeit $50,000 of personal assets and pay $1.4 million in restitution to 14 unnamed victims, the highest amount ever awarded to victims of sex trafficking in the Southern District of Indiana. Excellent. How much money does, does Jared have? Because can't we take it all away and give it to his victims? Because what's he going to do? Spe oh, I guess he can spend it in prison, right? Prison's probably a bit easier if you've got, like, money. Because you can get, you can take your money into prison to buy, like, noodles and shit, right? <laughs> or, like, buy phone calls. I don't know. Life Behind Bars. Because Jared had refused most of the interviews offered to him by the press, very little is known about his time behind bars, although despite his silence, there are several first-hand accounts from other people within the prison system. <laughs> I, yeah, I shanked Jared today. <laughs> ah. These reports are sure to thrill and excite fans of mob justice who feel that 15 years for destroying the innocence of countless children is not enough. I have to say that for all I hate this guy, prisons should not... I'm not for, like, mob justice and having this guy, like, shanked in the showers for all the horrible monster that he is. Um, I am for court-appointed justice generally and yeah even though you know <laughs> would be sweet these accounts claim that jared has had a rough time behind bars he's been harassed and ridiculed made the butt of countless jokes and had the shit kicked out of him by pedo hunters which are a group of prisoners who target convicted child molesters aka the anti-heroes <laughs> in one interview a former prisoner revealed that jared had purposefully housed been purposefully housed with a cellmate who had a nasty hatred for pedophiles the cellmate proceeded to quickly send jared to the infirmary multiple times shortly after his arrival it's like shall we send him back in with john on release from the infirmary yeah <laughs> During, the during this miserable time in prison, Jared attempted to appeal his case several times using a variety of tactics in one filing. He claims that the judge had no legal basis by which to sentence him because Jared was a sovereign citizen and that his actions were beyond the jurisdictional bounds of district courts. Isn't the sovereign citizen people who are just like, I'm not subject to the laws of the country because I don't believe the country exists. <laughs> it's like, i got news for you, mate. <laughs> it does. <laughs> The appeal was denied based on the legally upheld fact that Jared is a dumbass and sovereign citizens are not a legally recognized thing. Uh, Matthew says cue to a tangent about sovereign citizenship here. I have to say I don't know enough about it. I, it's like vaguely heard about it being like people who are like, yeah, no, I don't, you know, I want to start my own. Isn't this like, I feel like, and isn't it linked with the people who live in the woods, the survivalists, who just want to go live in cabins in Montana and send bombs? <laughs> That's, uh, what's his name? The Unabomber. 
Now, as nice as all of this is, there is some less than stellar news. Another former inmate says that Jared has now been transferred to a minimum security facility where roughly 75% of the inmates are incarcerated for sex crimes against children. It also seems that he has carried his motivational shtick through prison and uses it to win friends and who can, who can protect him. He says that in this new prison, Jared is looked to as a pseudo-celebrity and often gives advice to new inmates about surviving and thriving behind bars. In my opinion, based on what I've read, he's being treated far too well. He has reportedly obtained a certificate in culinary arts and he's eating good, working out, cooking, not a care in the world. Um, yeah, we've swung far too far. Like, I'm not up for him being beat up by his cellmate every day, but I'm also not up for him getting a certificate in the culinary arts and not having a care in the world. He should have many cares in the world. Many. More concerningly, Jared continues to downplay his crimes. In a handwritten letter sent by Jared from prison, he refers to his crimes as a stupid mistake and says that he royally screwed up. Mate, that does not cover it. And that's illustrated by the fact that you're in jail for a decade and a half. For some reason, the way the last line is phrased pisses me off no end. Screwed up is what you say when you miss your ex and have to backtrack 20 minutes through rush hour traffic, not molest dozens of children. Jared also thinks that his crimes can be put behind him because he says that he wants to learn from his mistakes to become a better person and that he's looking forward to restarting his life and continuing every moment with his family who have stood by and supported him. Um, okay, really, that surprises me. I will remind you that whatever family is referring to is certainly not his wife and children, as she divorced him almost immediately after his arrest and his kids will be not allowed to see him until they're at least 18. Yeah, and then they'll probably be like, no thanks, at least I hope. Oh, I can't speak for them. I can't speak for the complexity of that, I'm sorry. While reading this letter, it's hard not to get the impression that he laments the death of his career more than he does his crimes, and to me, that's a hard pill to swallow. Making things somehow even worse, Jared reached new lows when he filed a lawsuit seeking damages against the parents of one of his underage victims. What? The victim, simply known as Jane Doe, was one of the girls who was awarded damages. She received $100,000 of the $1.4 million, citing that Jared had caused her lasting emotional distress. As a teen, she had fallen into the trap of drugs and alcohol and was suffering from depression and self-harm and struggled with suicidal thoughts. After Jared was sentenced, the girl's parents, referred to as BT and JT, filed a civil suit requesting an additional $150,000 in compensation to pay for their daughter's therapy. Jared countersued, claiming that it was their bad parenting that led to their daughter's destructive behavior. Yeah, 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 that's it, Jared. That's what doing it it's not the molestation it's the bad parenting you f***ing idiot in my opinion the countersuit claims that bt and jt had failed to supervise her properly throughout her teen years yeah 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 that's it's the fault of the f***ing parents f*** off and that her divorce and the messy divorce was the cause of her real pro i'm just not i'm just done with that personally i don't have anything to say about this i'm just disgusted yeah dude brah reactions It goes without saying that sex crimes against any children are horrendous, regardless of who you are or how many, if any, children you have. But for the parents whose children not only knew of Jared Fogel, but also had interacted with him, it was an incredibly frightening time. To fully understand the anger that so many people felt toward Jared Fogel, you need to put yourself in their shoes. Imagine how it must have stung to find out that Jared Fogel had met and interacted with your children, the ones you're responsible for protecting. They shook his hand posed for photographs, looked up to him the way innocent and trusting children do, and all the while, he was hunting for his next victims. Since so many American children grew up having the term stranger danger beat into their skulls for the first decade of their lives, it felt impossible to believe. Jared wasn't a stranger. He toured the country and ran a non-profit dedicated to helping children, not hurting them. It may sound incredibly naive, considering that you are listening to a true crime show, but parents saw it as a betrayal of the fundamental trust they place in the institutions that safeguard their children. Schools had failed to recognize him for what he was. The police had failed to stop him. And those who came forward with stories of corporate cover-up to protect profits and brands was just the icing on the cake of infuriation. If there's one bright spot to end this story on, it's knowing that Jared will certainly have a difficult time when he gets out of prison. The internet doesn't forget, and the name Jared Fogel is infamous. Plus, even if he does change his name, grow a beard, and move to Alaska, he'll still have to report for mandatory probation for the rest of his life. Someone will be watching him very closely until the day that he dies, which is exactly what needs to happen, because we should watch these people. Like, just put something, let's just put a chip under their skin or a GPS tracker in their bones, because there's no, there's no end. Like, they're mentally not right, and they have to be monitored forever. That's, yeah, that's where I'm ending today's episode. Thanks for watching.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.